you are listening to The Janine Garner Show. Janine is a leading expert on leadership and driving influence through networking and collaboration, passionate about bringing brilliant people together to achieve remarkable results. Join Janine Garner as she shares insights, interviews and conversations, and let's together make the remarkable happen. Welcome to the latest episode of Unleashing Brilliance. I am your host, Janine Garner, and it is an absolute pleasure to welcome you here once again today. This podcast is really come about and developed off the back of my insane level of curiosity into what is it that makes successful individuals more successful? How do they find their point of difference and their passion? What drives them through the good and not so good times? And how do they unleash their own level of brilliance? It's really an exploration into other people's ideas, insights, and musings around this concept of unleashing brilliance. And I'm absolutely thrilled to welcome today's guest. Today's guest, Shane Hatton, asked the question, what is the best contribution you can leave on the planet. Shane Hatton is a Melbourne-based, I'll try to get those words out, thought leader, and he's passionate about developing remarkable people leaders. And as we got to the bottom of where this all started, uh, really exploring his childhood, those early days of his career, it absolutely became clear that there was a golden thread running through everything that Shane does. He partners with organizations to really close that leadership gap between their people leaders and the executive level leaders to allow them to to become less transactional and absolutely more strategic. He's an absolute expert in leader communication and blending his experience in business and psychology to really help leaders communicate and connect with greater confidence. During this conversation, we had an awesome deep dive conversation into the intentionality around conversation. Now, I'm not sure if you've ever thought about it in this in this way, but Shane uh, discusses the three critical things he asks himself when he's in a conversation. And these three critical things, the three questions he asks himself are, how can I be a student right now? How can I be a mentor right now? And how can I be a teacher right now? So he suggests that those are the three questions that we have to get conscious of to absolutely increase the intentionality around our conversation. We talk about the challenges of the leadership gap, and we also talk about the importance of developing leaders um, and, and that investment in developing leaders, how it actually has an impact exponentially. So get ready for yet another awesome conversation, debate, and a whole heap of sharing of insights and musings. Today, please welcome my guest, the uh, incredible Shane Hatton. Oh, I am so excited to have my very good friend and colleague, Shane Hatton, joining me today. Shane is just a wonderful human being who does incredible work, and I cannot wait for you all to get to meet Shane. Shane, thank you for joining me today. We finally managed to get our worlds to align and get this time in our calendars. It's wonderful to have you here. 
Janine, I find any opportunity that I get to have a conversation with you, whether it's in public, whether it's on a podcast, whether it's just privately, is always value adding. So I'm looking forward to this conversation as well. Oh, you are such a gentleman. I love it. You've put a smile on my face. All right. Let us, let's just do some quick fire just so that the audience can get to know a little bit more about you. And then, um, and then let's deep dive because, yes. as you know, I'm all about unleashing brilliance and helping other people do this. But what's really fascinating for me always is how my guests found their little bit of genius, their bit of brilliance. So quick fire first. Are you uh, – where are you from, actually? Where are you from originally? Are you a Melbourne boy born and bred or were you from somewhere else? Well, I'm a Queenslander by birth, um, which means I support Queensland in the state of origin, but I'm a Melbourneian by choice. Um, Love it. So I, I live in Melbourne now. Actually, I do remember you supporting Queensland in the state of origin. <laughs> I remember getting very confused as to what was going on there. Um, are you tea or a coffee person? Well, I live in Melbourne, so it's coffee capital, and so I would say absolutely coffee. But I don't. I'm, I'm definitely am open to a cup of tea mid morning. <laughs> What's your favourite coffee? Ah, <laughs> oh, look for me. I have a batch brew um, once a day, um, or an almond flat white because I'm fancy like that. <laughs> <laughs> spoken like a true Melbourneian there. I have a batch brew. Now, when it comes to consuming content and your learning space, do you prefer reading a book or listening to a book? Oh, see, I have this weird um, thing that I do where I jump between Audible, I go to um, uh, hard copy book, I go to Kindle, and I, I alternate between all of them. It's a horrible habit that I'm in. Uh, so I don't have one as a preference, but I would say which one wins out more often than the others, probably listening. Yeah, wow, listening. I love it too. I, and do you uh, Have you got into the art form of listening to it at one and a half or double speed yet so everyone sounds like Mickey Mouse? Uh, no, not yet. I haven't got into that space. I probably should. Um, I, I find that I'm, I, I have to be really focused in the zone and listen to the words and actually try to, my challenge is not drifting off and daydreaming. That that's my yeah. biggest challenge while I'm listening. Cause I get sparked with creativity and I get sparked with ideas as I'm having these, I'm listening to these conversations. So that's my challenge is staying focused. Uh, you see, that's why I can't listen to things when I'm driving because it takes me twice as long to get anywhere because I'm constantly pulling over to the side of the road to grab my notebook to write down <laughs> thoughts because I'm like you. It's like, oh, my gosh, idea, idea. Do you have a favorite book that you're reading right now? Oh, I mean, there's a, there's quite a few that I've been, I've been digging into a bit lately. Um, one of the ones that for me has been – really thought provoking has been talking to strangers by Malcolm Gladwell been really confronting yeah. um and a really mm. powerful read mm. yeah it's a good one that one it's uh and you get lost in it don't you because of his yeah. beautiful storytelling it's fabulous yeah that's the thing that right, I love finally, I find what's authors who? that can tell great stories um that can really engage you in a book is is quite a, an art yeah. form yeah love it and finally who or what is your favorite superhero Oh, I, I have to say, uh, growing up, I was a Batman fanatic. And so I have <laughs> photos of a bed that I had as a Batmobile. I still, to this day, in my parents' house in Queensland, have uh, Batman figurines. So I can't go past that. Oh, I love it. I can just see you in a Batman suit, Shane. Okay. <laughs> well, there you go. You've all now got a wonderful picture in your head of uh, my latest guest, Shane, a a uh, batch brewed coffee drinking, uh, <laughs> audio listening Batman in his own right. So welcome to the show. Um, Shane, let's, let's just before we get into who you are and what you do and how you got to where you were, um, 
Can you remember what you wanted to be when you grew up? Was it Batman or was there something else? Well, funnily enough, the very first job that I wanted, and this is going to sound funny, is that I actually wanted to work at Hungry Jack's. Um, I remember being in in primary school and it was because I actually grew up uh, living in Alice Springs and um, we didn't have a McDonald's there. We only had a Hungry Jack's. And so in primary school, I said, one day when I grow up, I'd love to work at Hungry Jack's. So as you can tell, I was quite aspirational and quite um, ambition driven uh, as a child. You just said Alice Springs there as well. I did. Yeah. Uh, hang on. I thought you said you grew up in Queensland. How did you end up in Alice Springs? Well, I was born in Queensland uh, and yeah. moved uh, quite quickly to Alice Springs for the first five years of my life. My dad worked in the gold mines over there. And oh, uh, from there, um, we moved back to Bundaberg when I was about six years old and then spent most of my life living in Bundaberg uh, before we moved right. to Melbourne. Right. Can you remember much of Alice Springs? Describe Alice Springs for those listeners that are listening in from overseas. Yeah. So if you were to visualize Australia and put a pen right in the center of it, that's kind of where Alice Springs is. Um, And I would say, uh, I guess, just visualize most of the things that you might typically see of the Australian outback, the kind of central Australian lifestyle. Um, It was absolutely stunning, a beautiful place to live and incredible people. And then off to Bundaberg before yes. you moved to Melbourne. So how do you think your your childhood or your, the community in which you grew up has shaped the person that you've become? I think for me, my entire life, I've been deeply intentional about the kind of people that I surround myself with. Um, we moved to Melbourne because we saw people who we knew that were just incredible leaders. And we actually didn't know what we wanted to do. We just knew we kind of wanted to be around them. And I think that was always instilled to me uh, from a relatively young age. My family, uh, especially my dad, talked quite a lot. He would always say to me, Shane, be a leader, don't be a follower. And he would always talk about leadership and always inspire leadership. And so as a result of that, I think a lot of the decisions that I made tended to revolve around putting myself in environments where I could be around great leaders. Uh, so definitely I would say that aspect of my childhood shaped the kind of person that I became. And then because I put myself around great leaders, great leaders tended to attract great communities of people around them. And so I was always really grateful to be in communities that allowed me to be around big thinkers and people who enlarged my thinking. So I would say it, it lots of those experiences shaped who I am today. And thinking about your your dad and that message of um, you know advising his his son be a leader, don't be a follower. Where do you think that came from? Looking back, if you could sort of be on a balcony now, looking back at that childhood, those childhood moments when he gave you that advice, what was driving that advice? Do you think? I can tell you exactly what I think was driving it. It was probably because I went through a thousand different phases as a child and as a teenager. And I felt like I was consistently um, bringing home a new phase, whether it was punk rock music, I was a vegetarian for a number of years and my dad was fed up of it. And I think he just wanted me to start actually taking some responsibility and start leading my life rather than trying to fit in with lots of people. Um, but I took it as a child, not necessarily from that perspective. I always just saw it through the lens of there's something that I have to contribute. There's something that I could lead. There's something that I could do. And so maybe I need to start stepping into that more. Uh, let's pick up on that. There's something that I have to contribute. When Can you remember, uh, let's call it a watershed moment or something that happened where that penny dropped, where that realization that there was something more that you had to do? I mean, it's probably been an evolving experience throughout my life. There's been, um, I guess, a few moments that I could uh, think of where I've started to um, 
realized that there was a contribution that I had to make to the earth. And um, it sounds very um, abstract when I say it that way, but really the moments were um, getting around big thinkers. And when you get around a big thinker, they talk in a different way. They enlarge your perspective. And I started to um, think beyond just my little sphere of influence, my uh, little patch uh, here in Melbourne or where I was growing up. And I started to realize actually the world is a big place and we really need great and remarkable leaders to play their part and to help others to have those same kind of mindset shifting experiences that I did. And because I was in rooms with big thinkers, um, they, they caused me to think outside of myself. And when I started to do that, I started to realize that there was bigger things that I could attach my life to that helped me to feel like, um, I know this sounds funny, but I was a small fish in a big bowl rather than a big fish in a small bowl. Um, and growing up in a small country town, it can feel easy to be a big fish in a small in a small bowl. And I wanted to kind of be in an environment where I could be a part of something much bigger. So it sounds like you've been quite intentional about surrounding yourself with big thinkers. Um, who, looking back, which which big thinkers spring to mind where you go, that moment that you heard them or you were in the room with them, they had such an impact on you. And and who was it, if you can say, and what was the impact they made? Yeah, in, in some ways, um, there's like multiple people that come to mind when I think about that. Um, and they probably all played different roles at different times within my life. So when I was young, I remember one of the first mentors I had, he was a youth worker and he had a goatee that came down to literally his chest. It was one of the ugliest things that you could possibly imagine. And I remember being in high school and um, I had a day a week off where we could go and volunteer or work. That was kind of the, we, we did a four day school uh, week so that you could take a day and go um, either work or volunteer. And I would go and sit in his office and I honestly look back and I would have been the most annoying person ever, but he would sit there and he would do his job and he would mentor me uh, a day a week. And for me, he would, he taught me some of those, these really incredible uh, leadership lessons that I've taken with me even to this day. And so he shaped a really formative part of my life as a young, as a young person. Then obviously when I, I went through, um, you know, um, getting married, uh, kind of growing up, moving to Melbourne, there were other people who um, really shaped what it looks like to be a good husband, what it looks like to uh, be a good employee, to be a good leader. And I had mentors around me there. And then even today, now in the business that I run, uh, people like you, like people who I would describe a part of my close circle of people who helped to enlarge my thinking um, that just, I guess, helped me to see in a different way and helped me to, to grow and to develop as a person and as a leader. What are some of those lessons that you learn? I love that. Because well, there's a couple of things, right? We So many of us have an opportunity, I believe, every single day to learn from other people. And there are these wonderful snippets of advice around all the time. And, you know, it's like Elizabeth Gilbert in her book, uh, Big Magic, where she talks about where do ideas come from and her um, she she suggests that ideas are everywhere. It's just some people are able to see them and grab them and some people let them float by. And I think the same can be said for leadership lessons. So my first question is, uh, what are some of the key lessons that you have remembered that you live by now? And then the second part of the question is, what do you think makes the difference between those people that are open to learning and hearing the lessons and those that let them float on by, as Elizabeth Gilbert talks about ideas. Yeah, there was one really distinct moment. I remember sitting in a cafe and I was sitting down with one of my mentors 
And he just kind of threw away this passing comment, thinking not much of it. And he said to me, he said, Shane, you teach what you know, but you reproduce who you are. Now, it, it wasn't his line. Um, I'm sure there's a bunch of people that have said that. I'm not sure who the exact source of that was, but he said that to me in that moment. And for for me, it was such a an, an eye-opening experience and the importance of being mindful about who I am as a leader and who I am as a person, not just what I do as a leader, not just what I do as a person. And so that's really been reflected in a lot of the things that I do now in my business. It's, it was reflected in the work and the career that I had, and it's actually shaped a lot of um, my values. And I think um, what what distinguishes people who, who catch moments like that and people who maybe let them pass by, um, for me, I've been reflecting a lot about, it's really that intentionality around how do you approach a conversation? And I, I've, I, you know, I've said I get around big thinkers and in rooms where people challenge my thinking. That isn't to say that I get around people who I would describe as, you know, leaps and bounds ahead of me. Um, in terms of some of the things that I'm pursuing or looking for. I'm I mean, in rooms that people just give me different perspective and different ideas. And through just being who they are, they open up my eyes to different ways of being. And um, I think as a result of that, entering those rooms with intention can really shape what you get out of it. And I think there's three intentions that I've always wanted to go into every room with. The first intention was how could I be a student in this room? What could I learn from the people around me, uh, whether they're ahead of me in the journey, whether they're behind me, like everyone has something that they can teach us. The second intention that I go in with is how can I be a mentor in this room? How can I contribute to the conversation? How could I um, take what I know and help enlarge somebody else's perspective or thinking? And the third one is how, how could I enter with the intention of a teacher, which is this idea of what could I get and what could I take away and share with others and to help others kind of go on this learning journey? And I think those three intentions have really helped me to get the most out of every environment that I've gone into. I love those. So how can I be a student? How can I contribute to this room as a mentor and how can I enter with the intention of being a teacher is that right Have yeah, I how do I take something down? away or how might I rephrase it reframe it what I've learned or taken away that might help me to be able to share it with other people so that they can have that same light bulb moment that I had love that so so the work that you're doing now is very much in this leadership space can you can you just share a little bit with the people that are listening? about what it is that you do now and I guess more importantly why it's so important to you yeah so uh, many people or some people who might be listening to this may know of my work around lead the room which is a book I wrote a couple of years ago which was very uh, focused around how leaders communicate and connect and how they use their platform whatever that might be whether it's you know a team stand-up meeting a town hall at a conference whatever that kind of platform is to be able to lead and mobilize people and for the last couple of years, that's been a, a, a big focus of my work. Uh, but what many people don't know is my work actually expands a lot outside of that. And Lead the Room didn't actually start as a book around communication. Lead the Room actually started with three big ideas, which was around the conference room, the meeting room, and the lunchroom. Um, and for me, it was around how leaders communicate big picture collectively. It's how they communicate individually and it's how they communicate culturally within an organization. And so the last couple of years have really gone back to that um, bigger picture focus within my practice. And um, while I've typically been working with executive teams the last couple of years, um, just uh, of the last probably 12 months, I've stepped down a layer within an organization uh, to really help those leaders close their leadership gap within their organization and, um, and develop their next layer of leaders. Because what I was finding is that as you invest into a leadership and an executive team, 
their capability lifts and it only just kind of increases that gap for their next layer of leaders. And so the way I've been describing it to people uh, of late is how do we help develop remarkable people leaders within your organization so that um, as a leader and as executive team, you can be more strategic and less transactional by closing that leadership gap. So I've got to ask, what do you what do you think the biggest challenge is right now with the leadership gap? I mean, the last 12 months um, I heard described as the great amplifier. In many of the experiences the last 12 months, where there was a crack, it's become a chasm. Where there was something that was fragile, it's it's quickly become broken. And I think the last 12 months has probably highlighted some of the, the big leadership capability gaps that exist between people who are at the top of the organization and people who are leading people within the organization. Um, and those those capability gaps are not necessarily technical expertise. They're those real leadership capabilities that are required and are essential to be able to lead people more effectively. Um, and so I would say, um, if anything, the last 12 months has just highlighted the um, some of the big shifts that we really need to make in order to be able to lead people more effectively. Tell me more, Shane. Tell me more about some of those uh, capability gaps. Yeah, I mean, for, for um, people who are, I guess, going on a journey, say they're um, in a team uh, member role, there's a lot of things that we um, that we do in the ways that we operate that look very different to what's required of us when we step into a leadership role. And we, we learn that in a very confronting way when we take on our first-time leadership role um, or we step into a people leadership role. And sometimes that um, that experience can stick with us as we progress through the ranks of leadership. Let's let's pick something as an example when it comes to um, just the way we invest our time. Like when you think about your journey, when you're on a team, you spend most of your time saying yes to things um, because for you, it's about how do I get more experience? How do I get more exposure? How do I um, learn new skills? How do I do new things? And so we spend most of our time saying yes. And we find ourselves in a leadership role. We realize that's really unsustainable. And so now all of a sudden we need to shift and start saying no to more things. Um, and again, like that's just one of a whole range of changes that we have to go through. And I think over time, you, those changes, if we don't adjust, if we don't shift, um, we can we can burn out, we can tire out um, in leadership, and it can really impact those that we lead. And and more importantly, just ourselves, we can we can knock ourselves out of the race really early. Mm. And the the work that you've been doing, um, what are people saying is con- contributing to that? So I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm hearing it all the time. People are almost fatigued with being fatigued. It's, it's uh, this brink of burnout. This I'm tired of making decisions. It's this, you know, this desire to get to a space of freedom or being time rich and thriving. And yet, the reality is, for so many, the shackles of doing stuff are keeping people stuck. Um, what are, what examples have you got that you're seeing around you right now? One of the most common conversations I'm having, and I have been having in the last probably 12 to 18 months, is people saying, how do you prioritize two things that are both urgent and important? You know, we go to the the model around what's urgent, what's important. Like, how do you prioritize things that both have equal importance and both have equal urgency, but one of them you have to drop. How do you distinguish between how you decide between those things? And so I think there's one thing is that people are being caught up with really important work and it's really hard to know what do I let go of in order to be able to um, to do what we need to do that's most important. Um, and then the other thing is um, this perspective of short range and, and, and long range um, when it comes to the investment around our people. So uh, let's take something as an example of as a leader, you know that the best um, 
impact that you can have on your team is when you operate from this place where you become more coach-like rather than feeling like you're consistently telling people what to do and and feeling like you need to be the expert all the time. But when you say to someone, hey, uh, you know, are you coaching or are you um, or are you just telling them all the time? They'd say, well, I'm probably telling them more often because in their mind, it's so much quicker to be able to tell someone what to do than it is to be able to um, to coach them. And when you've got urgent, important things competing for your time, a lot of the capabilities that are so foundational and um, important to leadership kind of get put to the side, not not because they're not important, but because in, in a lot of people's mind, they're not the most important thing right now and they're trying to achieve something different. But if we play this out over the next 12 months, the things that we're putting to the side are actually going to help make our life and our job a lot easier, um, but they may not necessarily be as prominent or they might not be as observable in terms of their um, immediate impact, if that makes sense. Mm, absolutely. Where, you know, you t- it's interesting, isn't it, that you've gone into this space of leadership and as a child your father said to you, be a leader, don't be a follower. Um, where do you think, where do you connect the dots? What were the moments between that ongoing conversation and the work that you're doing now that essentially have driven this passion? I suppose it's like, where, why is this so important? What keeps you going in this space? Why why are you so passionate about uh, helping people become remarkable leaders. Yeah, you know what's funny is I go back. I go back to the statement that my dad made made me made to me about um, being a leader and not a follower. And I'm not necessarily even sure I agree with it anymore. Um, not that it's about you know be a leader, don't be a follower. My question now would be, can you be both at the same time? And I think great leaders are also great followers. Um, they're they're putting themselves in environments where they're allowing themselves to be led as much as they're leading other people. So it's slightly shifted in terms of my perspective, but in terms of drawing the, the line between where I was then and where I am now, I think the thing that I've learned over time is that um, developing people uh, will have an impact, but developing leaders will multiply that impact exponentially. Um, and I know John Maxwell talks about if you if you really want to increase um, in terms of your legacy, um, don't just create followers, create leaders and develop leaders. And so I think for me, if we go back to that conversation around what's my best contribution that I could make to the world, what's the one that's going to have the most impact and leave the biggest legacy uh, that I can, it would be, well, I don't want to just develop you know, remarkable people um, and remarkable followers. I actually want to develop remarkable leaders. And in doing so, you can multiply the effect- effectiveness that you can have um, on this planet. Oh, this is where this is why we get on so well because it's all, you know, my passion around unleashing brilliance in individuals because of the the knock-on impact that has on people around you is is actually what we need in this world that we're trying to navigate right now with so much change going on. We're all trying to navigate um, our place in it as as individuals, as families, as communities, as leaders, as organizations, as politicians, whatever it may be. Every single one of us is trying to navigate it, and um, it's 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 still such an uncertain place. It's a place of absolute challenge. Um, for yourself, when talk to me about your leadership. Talk to me about where uh, I'm asking you really to get some to to share some perspective. Look back on yourself and go. Give me an example of your poor leadership. First of all, um, tell us about that and what you learned from it. My poor leadership. Wow, mm. I probably have too many examples to come to mind. <laughs> Look, there I think we well, I think we learned this right because probably if you'd asked me at the time, I would have told you that it was great leadership. Um, mm. But through wisdom and maturity and experience, you learn that a lot of decisions you made at the time, uh, you you might make very different decisions right now. 
And I think for me, if I could think of some times when I, I really early on in my, my leadership career struggled, I, I, I dived down into micromanaging quite a lot. And I, I never realized at the time just how much I did it. Uh, but I look back and go, gee, I micromanaged my team a whole lot. And I think I did it not because I didn't trust them, but because I had this relentless pursuit of perfection. And I think that relentless pursuit of perfection caused me to dive in and feel like nobody else was quite measuring up to the standard that I could deliver as a leader. And as a result of that, it actually was so disempowering for my team. And I think one of the best decisions that I ever made one time was when someone called me to get my input, because that's what happens when you micromanage, um, people, you create this dependency on you and people they call and they run things by you and they check things by you because they know that if they don't, you'll dive in and want to get involved in it. And one of the best decisions I ever made was to not answer my phone because I knew that when I would answer my phone, I'd jump into that advice giving, I'd jump into that micromanaging and I, I went uncontactable. I went off grid for the afternoon. And as a result of that, my team actually started to pull things together and they did things in a way that I wouldn't have done it in the same way. And as a result of that, I went, okay, if I was more empowering, I could see more of those kinds of results. Um, and I look back at it now and it was a huge shift, just one small thing, but a huge shift in the way that I led and the way that I operated. Um, and again, now it influences kind of the way that I do work now and how I, I help other leaders now. So that there's a, that's just such a fabulous story. And I, I see it in so many places around this. Uh, I love that term that you said, relentless pursuit of perfection. Um, but how that in itself can have a negative effect in terms of how mm. we lead. Uh, but then the the piece around you making a decision that this essentially had to change and the only way that it could change was for you to take ownership and do something about it. What what advice would you give to anybody listening right now that that potentially could be struggling with the or challenged with the same thing of, you know, they've become quite unconsciously to start with, I think, a micromanager. Um, and and it's that piece because it takes a lot of bravery to change behavior, which is what you did. What advice would you give to people to step into that place of, as a leader, changing it up, yeah, doing I, something different? I like So the, the word relentless pursuit of perfection was, was damaging for me. And what I realized is what I really wanted was excellence, but what I was getting caught up with – uh, in was was this um, pursuit for perfection. And I think about it like this kind of revolving door and a revolving door is something that you pass through rather than getting caught up in. And I think excellence helps us to be able to go, okay, is this excellent? The work that I'm delivering, is this excellent? Yes, pass through it. Um, whereas when we're caught up in perfection, we kind of keep cycling around and around and around again. It can be so damaging. But if we were to use, I mean, we could use any different kind of example, um, insert behavior or mindset in that conversation. I think there's some things that I had to go through to better understand um, how I could make the change. I think the first thing I had to do is just be able to recognize it and to go, okay, I'm doing something here that isn't producing the best in other people. And that could be you know, it could, it's not producing the best in me. It's not producing the best in my team. So I've got to be able to recognize it. I think the second thing for me was being able to own it and actually say, I've got a part to play on this. And I think I, I love the, the quote that you can't change what you won't own, which is this idea of, okay, what, what am I contributing to this and what do I need to take responsibility for? I think the third thing for me was about being able to learn from that experience and not um, dive into spiraling self-defeat and actually allow myself to, um, uh, step into self-compassion and say, how hey, I'm learning uh, from this experience. And that's generally where I think a lot of people stop. They go, okay, yep, I recognize it, you know, own that part of it. I've learned from it. Now I'm going to do something different. 
I think the thing that helped a lot for me was being able to share the learning. And this is the teacher intentionality that comes in and going, okay, what did you learn from that experience? Now, how could you share that with somebody else? And by sharing it, you go, okay, this isn't a failure that I'm ashamed of. This now becomes a failure that actually becomes empowering for me. And it can actually be empowering for other people. Um, And then I think the process is now, how do I make sure that I change it? So I don't do the same thing again, moving forward. And then the the last thing for me is just going, okay, now I've got to move on from it. I'm not going to continue to spiral around in self-defeat and say, I'm so, no, I'm a failure. I made a mistake. I'm no good. I'm actually going to move on from it and go, hey, I'm actually going to do something different next time. So that's kind of the process that I went through personally. Which is a great process because you're basically saying as leaders, um, we've all got to take the time to pause, to reflect, to gain perspective so that we can actually recognize what's going on versus it Mm. becoming a norm. Own at the part that we're playing in it was the second thing you said. Uh, Then the piece about what am I learning from it? What can I share from this? And then, okay, let's actually change things, um, which is a process in itself. But that right at the beginning, which which I think is is the biggest challenge for so many leaders right now, um, and you touched on this with the link to burnout and the busyness and uh, you know people trying to decide what to prioritize over something else. It's that that ability to find time. Mm. Like leadership needs time. Yeah. What do you think about that? Yeah, an investment, an intentional time. I think, Mm. um, you know, we're talking about this, you know, some of these big uh, life impacting things that we do that we can get caught up in the process of and sometimes not even be aware that we're doing it. And so um, intentionality around being in an environment where people can call us on some of these behaviors. um, And this is, for me, why it's so important. um, And obviously, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir here around your network. Like, who are the people that you know that can see things that you can't see, that can hold up a mirror to you and to go, hey, you know what? how you're doing this? is actually not helpful for you. And that's the first thing is to be able to, to see it. And the second thing is to be able to say, well, okay, I'm going to own that um, rather than feeling like you dive straight into defensiveness and going, no, 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 that's not me. You don't understand. And, and we can like fight this off. But how do we actually start to, okay, hold the mirror up and say, that's not okay. How do I now change and learn from that experience? Um, So yeah, intentionality of time, but also intentionality of your network and your people and your, who's in your circle. I love that. Love that. Thank you for talking my language. Well, Um, you've shaped so much of my thinking around this, honestly, um, (laughs) so much around network and the importance of getting good people around you. I mean, I I, I think I texted you uh, maybe last year or the year before and and was like, I'm just reading it's who you know. I'm looking at my network and I I realized how closed my network. I've always kind of prided myself on being, you know, connected in terms of to people who inspire me, but looking at, okay, who's in my network and who's fulfilling these roles that you talk about within your book? I was like, actually, there's still so much more work that I got to do that I've got to do. And I think that's another example of the people you get around in terms of the intentionality of your connections will help you to recognize some of the things that you can't see. Absolutely. It's, it's so important. And a bit like your work around leadership, it, it starts with you because you've got to determine, first of all, where it is you, you want to go or the impact that you want to make or the legacy that you want to leave or the work that it is that you want to do. And then have that self-analysis piece to go, okay, how am I going to get there? What skills do I have? What don't I have? And who's going to help me? Which um, absolutely requires the intentionality of time and the intentionality around around ownership, uh, which it's it's all connected, isn't it? It's, it's all, all connected. so beautifully connected. Um, 
I'm curious, um, sort of as we come to the end of our conversation, uh, you know, we are recording this uh, 15 months um, into a world that has been totally upended. Uh, You mentioned also that you've been speaking to many clients over the last few months where there's, they've almost identified um, various gaps in the leadership capability to lead organizations uh, through this and into a new future. From your perspective, as someone that's continuously working in this space and passionate about this space, what do you see as some of the critical capabilities, the critical skills that we're going to need um, our leaders to uh, own and step into as we navigate this continued uncertain future into whatever next looks like? Yeah, I think so much of it, the big word that I'm hearing a lot is this sense of uncertainty. Like how do we lead through uncertainty? And I think uh, as followers, what we really, what we crave and what we think we want is certainty. But when you think about the world, nothing really is certain. There's very few things that we can actually have some sense of certainty on. But what we probably need more is clarity, which is we want our leaders to be able to give clear direction. We want them to be able to point us forward, even if they don't know what that future looks like. But I think if we were to look at the capabilities that are required, I reckon it's a mixture of both capability, number one, but not the technical capabilities. I think there's leadership capabilities that are a different skill set that's required for leaders to be able to navigate this. And I mentioned before, like in my mind, I break them down into what I've affectionately known as the conference room, the meeting room, the lunchroom. And the capabilities, the three capabilities that I think that sit around that is number one, if you were to observe your leaders in a collective environment, so you've got one leader communicating to many people, do those leaders know how to do more than just inform people with their words? Do they know how to inspire people? Do they know how to influence behavior? Do they know how to point people towards a collective purpose? Do they know how to inspire people with vision? That would be the first kind of big observation that I would make. Do your leaders know how to do that well? The second one would be in your leadership conversations in a one-on-one environment, the meeting room, I affectionately call it. Do your leaders know how to step into that place where they they lead with curiosity and they lead with empowering conversations where they ask more than they tell? Um, Are your leaders operating um, as a coach rather than as the expert or the manager or the boss? I think that would be the second capability. And I think the third capability is this cultural piece. And I I describe it as the lunchroom, which is the conversations within your environment, the water cooler conversations, the lunchroom conversations, or even right now, those 30 to 60 seconds when the Zoom kicks off or when you're connecting in your team meetings, what are those kind of general conversations that help reveal and reflect the culture of your organization? Where are those conversations taking place? And are are your leaders knowing how to lead that in terms of being able to create a culture by design rather than it just being by default? In my mind, those are the three big capabilities that I'm looking for and talking to leaders about right now. But I think it's all underpinned by this second one, which is around are your beliefs as an individual serving you and your business? And I think there are beliefs that are helpful beliefs and there are beliefs that are unhelpful. And I think belief um, can actually self-sabotage a lot of these capabilities. And so the kind of expression that I've been giving to a lot of people lately is that you will deliver to the threshold of your capability but you'll rise to your level of belief. And so are your beliefs right now as an individual and the beliefs of your leaders serving you and your business and the future? Shane, you are absolutely spot on. I hope leaders that are listening to this 
um, have heard what you said because it really is collectively us all working together um, that we're going to actually get through this. We're going to get through it for ourselves, for those future leaders, for those people leaders, for those people that are already in leadership positions in terms of working together to get through it. And that last piece that you said around rising to your beliefs, um, just absolutely love. Um, how can people get hold of you, Shane? What's the best way they can get hold of you? Yeah, the best way is just to, to reach out and to, to visit my website, shanemhatton.com, and that's got everything that you need to be able to connect with me. And finally, I want to say a big high five thank you to your dad uh, for actually sharing and instilling in you that, that comment around be a leader, don't be a follower, which obviously set you on this journey of unleashing your brilliance. Um, what would you say if we could by magic get him onto this podcast now, what would you say to your dad? Oh, wow. Um I think like most most people that have had a big influence on my life, I would just say that I'm so deeply grateful, um, grateful for words, grateful for action, and grateful for even those times where they were unspoken uh, but but lived out and observed. Shane, it's been wonderful to be the student on this podcast with you today. Um, it's been wonderful to learn. Um, I've written so many notes here. And trust that I have listened to you with the intention of being a teacher. Um, and um, hopefully the rest of the audience on here feel the same. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. Janine, thank you. It's it's a privilege to be on this podcast and to be able to talk to your audience. But more importantly, it's just a privilege to be able to know you and to, to be able to get to do this journey with you. Thank you, Shane. We hope you enjoyed listening to The Janine Garner Show. Follow her blog, purchase her books, or find out more. Visit her website, janinegarner.com.au. Brilliant people, extraordinary results.